Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Todd Glassman, who is a groundbreaker in the music industry. Thank you for joining us. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit? Listen, before you start and saying anything, I know your bio is about a mile long, my friend. So don't dish it out all at once. You know, there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, I don't even know why we put the questions in because all I told my producer, yes, is listen, all we have to do is just say, hey, next, next, and just keep talking. <laughs> I've been fortunate and I could talk about my experiences in the music industry for, uh, for days, but, um, my name is Todd Glassman. And first of all, I'm honored to be on your show. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I've had 25 years experience. Uh, I'm a promotion man at both independent record labels, major labels, and I currently have my own company. Great. You know, before we dive into it, I just would like us to take you to take us back, actually, us and our viewers and listeners mm -hmm. uh, back to where this whole thing started. How do you love for music? You know, back when you were in your early teens or kid is, is the parents school, whatever you'll you'll do the talking, my friend. We're here to listen and learn. Yeah, I, I mean, when it, when it comes to being, this is different. When it comes to being a fan of music, I don't think I'm any different than every, you know, billion people in the world. I think. Music to me was always my oxygen. It was yeah. just a, it, I, I couldn't breathe without it. I needed to hear every type of music, whether it been uh, R&B, pop, um, alternative, country. I didn't care what it was. I just couldn't drink and eat it fast enough. I went to see as many, I grew up in Boston. I went to go see as many concerts as I could. I was absolutely religious to the radio stations in those marketplaces. I just understood the value of how music brought people together um, best example I always said was watching Freddie Mercury at Live Aid. That moment is how I feel all the time. Wow. And that's really <laughs> what got me into it. But I, when I went to um, Syracuse after uh, from Boston, I went to Syracuse University, I was hung around with five or six people that all ended up going to the music industry. And I thought to say, wait a second, I can get paid to love music and work music? I mean, it wasn't even a vision of mine to go in the music industry until I identified that um, record labels like SBK and learning about Epic Records and so I understand, hey, wait a second, could this be a future for me? And that's mm. kind of um, how I got into this. And then I had, we can get into it, but then I had the grit and determination, which um, we can talk about as we continue. Great. Um, okay, we're gonna fast forward to 2007. You were okay. the senior vice president at Universal Midtown Record Group. Pretty uh, impressive Motown. title. Uh, Motown, I'm sorry. What did I say? Midtown. <laughs> Universal yes. Motown Records Group. Yes, I apologize. Excuse me. No, Where no, you I'll, I'll oversaw many aspects of the label's promotion department, including radio mm -hmm. strategy and digital uh, initiatives, which is a very broad mm -hmm. title. Uh, you mentioned briefly, but how did you get there in your career? Well, I worked, I mean, just to kind of give, I worked at, when I, I started as a kid at Relativity Records, where um, I just loved promotion. I was a college promoter, then I did into, uh, and then I became, um, I would cover region, and then Epic Records stole me, and I learned promotion from, from the ground up. And so you I were recruited, actually. I was recruited. recruited. I was always recruited. I was always recruited. I never left. I never <laughs> left the company either. Um, I was recruited by, frankly, an, a, a stronger opportunity. But as a matter of fact, when I was at Epic Records, David Geffen uh, tried to bring me over to uh, DreamWorks. And I actually sat with Mr. Geffen, which was the yeah. most incredible experience. But I wasn't ready to leave Epic. I, I wanted to. Sony was the best system in the world to learn how to be a promotion executive. They were, you had absolute 
icons with Donnie Einer and Polly Anthony and Tommy Mottola. And they taught mm-hmm. them how to perform at a high level. But I wanted to be a head of promotion. That was my goal. And then I went to Columbia Records. And Columbia was the creme de creme. That was, I was a head of pop. And we broke numerous artists over there. So the reason I went to Motown is because I had a chance to become the head of promotion. And I wanted to see if I could compete at that level. And uh, it was wonderful. So that was the opportunity. Amazing. Sylvia Rome brought me over there. Wow. I mean, you know, when you get recruited, you always write your own ticket. You know that, if you know what I mean. Well, you know what? I always say when you get recruited in our industry, you can, they can have buyer's remorse on you very quickly because uh, the wooing process is fantastic, but then you have to be able to deliver. And I always felt that. I yes. would never embarrass myself or the person that was kind enough to hire me. So I gave them 24-7 of everything I had, and I knew how to break music. Whatever the time of whatever uh, era it was, I knew how to – be a strategist. And when I got to Motown, which you can ask questions, that was a whole nother animal because I was working with companies like Cash Money and we mm-hmm. were the ones I was, who originally broke Drake and Nicki Minaj and really Little Wayne crossing him over to Top 40. Uh-huh. And, you know, so pretty much you're an overachiever, my friend, everywhere you went. I, I, you it, ex- it kind of feels that way. <laughs> I'm definitely an overachiever. Um, as a senior <laughs> vice president, at Island mm-hmm. uh, Def Jam, you continued mm-hmm. to oversee promotion strategies for major mm-hmm. artists like Jay-Z, Kanye West, Justin Bieber, and the list goes on and on. Could you walk us through the challenges involved in promoting these high-profile artists? And before you start, I want to say something. Mm-hmm. I mean, credit is due when credit is due. You pretty much hold the key in the success of promotion of a lot of these artists, like what song to play, what video to get out there, what image should we do? Because you had a promotion, pretty much the branding and the marketing all in your hand, my friend. So you had that that crown, not just a regular hat. You had a crown, my friend. But promotion in general was the engine to the record companies up until recently with streaming, which I which is that's a you know conversation we get into. But for, uh, I always knew we controlled yeah. that. That, that, that the company and I love that responsibility. So it was just a question again of when I was there, you, you, you know, I always said my claim of fame was taking urban artists and bringing them into the mainstream. I apologize that into the mainstream mm-hmm. and with, with, and top 40 would only play one to maybe two urban artists at a time. Mm-hmm. And I, and they still do that. And I wanted to be the person who delivered that artist. So when we had Jay-Z and Kanye, they did a compilation album together and it, um, they had a single and in Paris. And it was an unbelievable mixtape, an unbelievable club song, but mm-hmm. I felt I could bring it to the mainstream. So when those artists see that you're doing things for them outside the box and you're taking their vision and their passion and creating a strategy because they're trusting you with that strategy. And Correct. if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, then they, you know, they, they, they lose our confidence if it does work. And I always felt pretty good in it. You look at it, you can't bet everything's a winner, but I felt that if I could get their concerts and bring program directors to their concerts and let them get involved with their culture, they would want yeah. to translate that to their listeners. And honestly, when it came to those artists, I just asked for one spin. Give me one spin, hmm. two spins at 7 p.m. on. And these songs took a life of its own. But you have to be able to have the relationships. Uh, promotion yes. and marketing is about two things to me. Strategy and relationships. And my relationships were built on sacrifice. You know, unfortunately, personal family time. Um, the, the, the fact that I might be getting beat by somebody else. And that chip on your shoulder. And an artist loves that you'll do everything within your means uh, with your credibility and your integrity to deliver their music. And that's what happened at Motown. And I did it with, uh, you know, we had an act called The Wanted and nobody believed in The Wanted, but I loved the song. And the chairman at that time was Barry Weiss. And Barry gave me the opportunity to do it my way. And Apple was really, the Apple chart was really the, um, what was, everyone was measuring hits on. Uh And that's what, so 
It was serious, serious hits radio in a, in a station that doesn't exist in New York anymore. And I just Correct. asked them to bang the song like crazy. And <laughs> it took about five months. Next thing you know, it was the number one song in the country. It was the number one song on Apple and iTunes. And um, the company gave me the confidence and the belief in me to let me do what I needed to do to bring that project home. Hmm. And you did. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was it was it was a great win and and, and, yes. and when you when you went to celebrate with the artist it's a great experience yes uh at epic records you served as an executive vice president uh, yes. overseeing promotion digital uh, initiative oh i did that what am i saying yes uh, initiatives and social strategies how did the promotion landscape evolve during your time there uh, transitioning from traditional radio to digital and social media platform? It changed dramatically. I, and at that point, I want to recognize uh, L.A. Reid brought me over there. And L.A. Yeah. is not only the ultimate icon in this industry, but he taught me more in that position than I was even ever aware could be, could, could be learned. I mean, he was phenomenal. And we had, we had to rebuild the label. And all the technology that started to exist we could use to help break our artists. So for example, um, we took Fifth Harmony off. They were on um, Simon Cowell's uh, TV show and that was a platform. But then mm -hmm. we had social media, which was really coming in. It wasn't TikTok, it wasn't Spotify, but we capitalized on Facebook. Then it became Instagram and they were marketing dreams to have on those kind of platforms. They had a rabbit, uh, a rabbit fan base and we completely saturated the marketplace with their personalities. We had an unbelievable person there, uh, uh, Lisa Kesha, who really helped us uh, get to these get get to these uh, um, rabbit fan base and create a new fan base outside of that. But what we had to do was then take that to radio, and the and the yes. artists were very young. Camila was young, the group was young, Camila Cabello. So I had to translate the story at social media. And why they would be valuable at radio because their songs weren't yet strong enough to be delivered, and they they were too young. Uh, radio felt to really compete, so iHeart broke them. What I did is I brought them, I brought them to Kiss LA, and mm -hmm. John Ivey at that time, who was one of the most powerful people in radio and a wonderful human being, he loved the girls, and I knew if I brought the girls into people's faces, they would win them over, and that's what mm. we did. And we put them on the Jingle Ball shows. Kiss in LA and Z100 here in New York because mm -hmm. I felt they would sell tickets and through all these different connected dot situations we came back with the right songs and just blew them up and that led to what we all knew would happen the birth of Camila uh, Cabello yes Camila Cabello which we're going to talk about now uh, your career has been uh, closely tied to Grammy Award winning artists like Camila Cabello which you just mentioned mm -hmm. uh, Megan Trainer, DJ Khaled and mm -hmm. can you share some insights into the unique promotional approaches you took to elevate their strategies? Uh, they were both obviously completely different. Megan Trainor yeah. came into the came into the record label. Ellie signed her, and she came in wearing a ripped up sweatshirt. Um, it was like you were just like, "Who is this artist?" She came mm -hmm. in. She played a ukulele of "All About That Bass." It mm -hmm. was, and her personality was. Unbelievable. I mean, she could have taken over any talk show in America. She was just so comfortable with wow. her, within her skin. Yes. And, but her song, we, we wanted to get a whole plan. We needed a video. We needed a great video before we delivered the song. So we had the video all set up. And about a week before we launched the video, uh, LA and I had a plan to put the song on in five different markets because she was mm -hmm. an unknown artist. And too many people would have looked at the song at radio as a novelty situation. So I needed to prove success. Mm -hmm. I always say, you need to win somewhere. Whatever that win is, at a different type of format, at radio, at TikTok now, what would be considered Spotify now. You need some sort of win to spread a story. My win yes. was, was, and I'll get to it in a second, was having everything lined up. So I had five stations ready to play it. And then there was this thing that just came along called Shazam. Yes. No one knew what Shazam was at that time. They didn't know how it affected the marketplace. Nobody at record labels. 
and um, partners such as, um, uh, I'm sorry, such as uh, Radio PDs. We didn't know how yeah. they would, we, we would, we didn't understand it ourselves. I put it on five markets. It becomes number one on Shazam all in each market. So now suddenly those markets are saying, those radio stations say, wait a second, this has to mean something. No one knows about this. Yeah. They put the song at like 50 times a week. Then uh-huh. we put the video on the Today Show, Good Morning America, don't quote me. Yes. A week later, the video blew it up. And then at radio, it was Forget all it. over. I think she was number one in about seven weeks, which at that time was unheard of. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And, that led, and, that led, and then another thing with Megan is Megan had a song with John Legend. And that's where she won her Grammy for, for Best Noirs based on that. And we just grinded that song out at radio for 26 weeks. It's that passion, that belief in an artist that you mm-hmm. know you're right. Now, I can jump around. Khaled was different. Khaled came to the label with an unbelievable, brilliant marketing plan. He sat mm. out in front of all of us. It was Khaled is a brilliant marketing executive, probably one of the top five I've ever met. So what wow. we had to do, but he was an unknown artist, great marketing brain, great producer, but was at the best kept secret. So he did this song with Justin Bieber, Little Wayne, and Migos, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And we went to, I went to um, all the top PDs and mm-hmm. I invited them down to Khaled's house in Miami. And we, we had a partnership with radio that they would play the song every hour on the hour for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It blew up from there and again became a number one song. It, the, it's always your narrative in the beginning. It's how you launch a song that is going to possibly determine the success of the song or the song getting its best possible opportunity. Got it. And that's where we broke those R's. Now, when I was at Epic, we were leading the country with urban artists. 21 mm-hmm. Savage, Travis Scott, Khaled, Future. Um, and that's when Spotify really come, came into play. And we used Spotify to really help launch the success of the songs on Spotify from their rapid fan base mm-hmm. led to when we would press the button to work them at radio. Mm. If you use streaming, you know, everyone always says now, chicken of the egg, is it streaming? Is it radio? Or, or now streaming dominates? No, you have both unbelievable machines. Use them both. Columbia Records is the master at this. Republic is the master at this. They know how to utilize both radio and streaming. They don't pick one or the other. But everybody wants to be on the radio. And radio breaks artists. You can listen to X amount of artists on Spotify, love the Mm -hmm. song, but can't make the connection who the artist is. Because they don't market the artist. Yes, just the song. Just the song. Just the voice, yep. They become turntable hits. You get three singles on Z100 New York, you have a star that also has the opportunity to be a touring act. So are you saying that radio still have uh, some has muscles power. out there or some power? Absolutely. Absolutely. Influential power, I should say. Absolutely. It does. Wow. I, I, look at, I'm, people will say, if you look at the jingle balls that happen throughout the country, that Z100 yes. kiss, they're like, everybody wants to be at that shows. Every, every artist in the world goes into their chairman and their head of promotion and wants to know what's going on at radio. They are, I mean, wouldn't you say like 80% of young people listen yeah. to, to, you know, to their devices, to their streaming platforms? Yeah. But, but what, 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 what record labels do, and now what I do within my company, is yeah. you take a streaming artist, okay, yeah. or a streaming single, and you say, okay, we've read the tea leaves. We know it's a hit. We have the answers to the test. So the conversations that you're having with radio and based on how sophisticated radio programmers are, you're mm-hmm. not doing like I used to, when I worked early on at these different labels, I would have to will a song on the radio. I'd have to go sit with the radio programmer and basically my passion and my relationship would help break the song. Now, like I would have to say to them, I know I'm right. Well, how do you know, how do you know you're right? Cause I'm right. 
Now I have the answers to the test. I can go to a radio station and say, this song is going to work, but I need mm. you to bring it to the masses. I need you to not make it a six-week turntable hit. I need you to make this an actual viable act. And I then see. you play one song at radio. Then you get the second song up at streaming. And if yeah. it works, you know that can be a great follow-up to the second single. If not, maybe you put a third single at, um, on Spotify or um, Pandora. If you see the, the metrics, then you translate those numbers as a second single to radio. But radio's power to bring a song home, you have the radio, um, you have the iHeart Awards. You have Cumulus that has, I'm sorry, iHeart has 52 radio stations. Cumulus, yes. another powerful chain. They are so part of their culture in their markets yeah. that they, their value is, you will listen wow. to what they have to say, but that's really it. You've got, you got to bring them, is you it, have to use them as a formula. Is, is working songs to the radio as hard as it used to be back in the days? Like I would well, say 20 years ago? It's, it's different hard. It's diff First of all, I'll be honest with you, the promotion people back in the day were just yeah. a different type of person. They yes. were like they were phenomenal beasts. Like they were legends. The people that I competed with, I respected them. Um, I knew to be smart enough to fear them. I, I like to be in a position where I hope at times they knew that I was going to get the edge. Um, yeah. We were. It was a different era where you go. On, you had to break a song by going on the road. So we would all be on the road a year at a time. And we'd all mm -hmm. trip over each other and kill each other for that relationship and to get that spot. And to, so we were a different type of animal. And then we all became more sophisticated and we understood the craft of promotion. Yeah. Today, it's a little different because, because everybody does have the answers to the test. So from streaming, so you're kind of radio is already meeting you halfway because they're saying, we know you have success. You don't have to prove yes. it as much. Yes. So it's, I, I um, think it's, I think it's easier now, frankly, than it was. Got it. Um, you know, before we jump into collateral damage promotion, which is your mm -hmm. company, you mm -hmm. have two things, you know, when you worked for the major labels and the success that you had, uh, you know, looking at your track record. So mm -hmm. you have the relationship, the relationships, I would say, with artists out there and with mm -hmm. the major labels. So, mm -hmm. and you have the key and the power to be distributed through major labels. How come, this is just a personal question, yes. you never thought of starting your own label. You know, I mean, having a label, you need two big things. You need a major label distribution and you mm -hmm. need back in the day or even now probably, and you need the promotion, which is you are. You're the brain of it, so you know how to. So you have two key main key elements to the success of a label of a new late record label you never thought of that starting your own label you know by having you know, a relationship I, I, out there in the streets to bring an artist and i i think look at i think it's something that's always been a dream of mine so i i think i've thought uh -huh. about it probably since i was you know 20 um yeah. but that you know having first your of all, own label absolutely you know that's yeah. obviously been the ultimate dream of mine um but the fact is, that's a different business model in the sense that you need a backer. You need, whether it be a hedge fund, whether it be um, an artist that you have to invest in personally, financially. I mean, there's a lot of that goes into it to create one. Um, mm -hmm. It's like if you have if you have The weekend as your, as your artist and you have yeah. um, Post Malone and you have Taylor Swift, you have such an unbelievable base that you're already a record label basically and you can and a label will bring you in as a as a joint venture and yeah. if you bring in no other artist but that one artist you're set so maybe that will come into play uh, one day um mm -hmm. but as so far as, as collateral damage records or music <laughs> i mean you, ne you, you, you never know you know look at i never thought i'd see collateral damage you know it's just uh -huh. kind of yes. you know w when I wanted to do my own thing. When you work for the amount of people I have and the, in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the Hall of Famers I have, you need yes. to find out on your own what you can do. And when I started Collateral Damage, it created a life of its own. And yes. the phone calls and, 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 and the supporters has been phenomenal. Which we're going to talk about now. Yes. 
you know, as the president of collateral damage promotion and marketing, uh, mm -hmm. you worked in major labels, independent labels, and artists directly. How does your current role differ from your past experience? And what strategies are you implementing to adapt to the changes music promotion landscape, which is you wanted to start talking about? I, I run my company basically yeah. like, like I'm, a, I'm the head of promotion at a major record label. I, yes. I strategize that way. I strategize with the, um, with the artists I have. I strategize with my, because it's also different formats, like uh, whether mm -hmm. it be a top 40, the urban format, the alternative format, whatever the case may be, I strategize crossing those formats just like I would at a major label. And I have the relationships that exist at the major labels. So my big thing is I get the same, I get the same seats at the big boy and girl table that not everyone has access to. Yes. So I can get artists the, when they're ready and I get them in a place to be ready to be in the right meetings. And I also can help them from a streaming standpoint and a radio standpoint and a marketing standpoint and a social media standpoint of what we need to get to each phase of their career. Yes. And I like I, the major labels I like working with because they're my friends and they're who I grew up with. But my passion, and my excitement of why I started this is working with unknown artists, the independents. And the, and the artists that need help to get in those positions because, frankly, they need me more. Yes. Major labels can win without me, whereas the other scenarios, managers, producers, artists, independent labels, distribution companies, they truly value the process from A to Z and um, they give me all the resources I need to help mm. compete against the major labels. Got it. Got it. Uh, we'll we'll dive into that. I have a couple of questions regarding a couple of articles we're out there. We'll go into it in a minute. Uh, in your extensive career, you witnessed mm -hmm. music promotion transition from radio to streaming, uh, digital charts to social media, and yep. now platforms like TikTok. Can mm -hmm. you provide a glimpse into the complexity of modern music promotion, including the role of data, analytics, and AI? We don't okay. want to forget AI. Well, okay, I don't want I don't want to speak out of turn first of all cuz AI is just real like I don't think as far as promotion and marketing goes, yeah. you know, I I think a lot maybe people will say it, it, it's just starting to come in like definitely major labels are beyond sophisticated to know that's the business and they are using it, but as yeah. far as promotion goes and marketing goes, no, it's more TikTok. It's it will be and AI is going to be a major major part of the world mm -hmm. from this point on. But mm -hmm. so far, it's really TikTok. The metrics from Amazon, Apple, uh, Pandora, Spotify, any really any any uh, vehicle or platform that measures the success of the uh, of of the end game user. Now TikTok's mm -hmm. a little TikTok's a little different to me because the other ones are pure numbers. Spotify are pure numbers. The metrics are are what they are. Yeah. TikTok is personality. What I love about TikTok is what I love about the music industry in general, and where I always get nervous about metrics is metrics can take out the passion, and yeah. artists and songs might not get a shot that I want them to get if you only base it on metrics. Because I always say we broke a lot of music. Mm -hmm. Bob Davis broke a lot of music. L.A. Reid before metrics existed. And we're talking Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, mm -hmm. Bruce Springsteen, and the biggest tours are still those artists. So they're not, so I'm still a big believer that passion and belief in a song, if it's not getting the metrics, can yeah. still overcome. That being said, TikTok is a double edge because it's a great, great creative way to get the consumer to control the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And with the fans that are involved, with their fans, they can create it. They can create their own little, uh, their own fan base. Their music gets exposed. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's wonderful. Like I think, like I watch my kids on it. To, it it's great mm -hmm. for personalities. Now that being said, it's something. It's not sustainable, or it hasn't shown to be as a norm. That doesn't mean there aren't anomalies, because everyone will always say when you give an example, well, what about so and so? They're always a non anomalies. 
But for your week-to-week business model, when it comes to TikTok, you still want to have A-level producers, mm-hmm. A-level mixers, A-level A&R people. You, you keep, when you, what makes DJ Khaled so special and why all he has is number one songs is because mm-hmm. of him. He yes. has an experience, you know, Pharrell. These different type of producers are so magical and so special and rainmakers that a TikTok artist isn't getting exposed to them. What's unbelievable is what they're teaching themselves out of their basement. What they're te- and it's so admirable because I'm envious of it. And I wish that that always existed, that freedom, and mm-hmm. that the consumer always could dictate what's going on because I think it's wonderful. But to have consistency, an artist still needs some yeah. level of training, some level of to, to keep. So they as a tool. A- So, so you're saying as a, a one, tool. Well, not only as a tool, but so they can yeah. avoid becoming a one-hit wonder. Yes. Got it. Got Because it. Because don't forget, see, like, there, there are, and I don't want to mention them because it's not fair, but I've watched TikTok artists. Yeah. They will sign TikTok artists off that Correct. one song. It races yeah. to number one. Nobody then, remembers the artist. No, it, it's a whatever happened to. There's never a second single. And because... If you don't have any sort of fan base, mm-hmm. who's really remembering it? And again, that's the difference between, to me, streaming and radio. Radio creates a fan base. Correct. For you. They move at a different speed than streaming, because streaming might move in six-week, eight-week, ten-week cycles. But that also could hurt them, because you're not giving the average consumer a real chance to identify with who you are. And you have Got to it. work double hard to market that artist. And, and when you mention TikTok, is this the same? goes for Instagram Reel and uh, YouTube Shorts? Same yeah, it's all, this, it's all the same sideways. And tomorrow there'll be another version of it. They're all incredible. They give unknown artists a chance to be seen. Because yes. artist development does not exist in labels anymore. Labels mm. want you to have... The labels want everyone to do the heavy lifting. They want to say, okay, you're coming in with these kind of streaming numbers. You're coming in with these kind of TikTok uh, metrics. You're coming yes. in where we know we have a pretty good shot to win. Back yeah. in the day, we had to create that opportunity 100%. Yes. So correct, now, correct. again, it's the answers to the test. But if it doesn't work, you don't have a fan base to help get you through to the next level. So what are you saying that major labels do use uh, uh, these tools or these social media platforms like TikTok, Instagram Reels, oh, and yes. YouTube Shorts as a vehicle to see, hey, Absolutely. can we take them from here to bring... So why do you think Universal pulled out their catalog in the big controversial article in the past couple of days from TikTok? I'm sure you've seen the article. Yeah, that, I, you know what? I, yeah. I, you know, I, always, I, I always try to speak with what... And, and this isn't yeah. really a political response, but I mean... I, yeah. I don't, no, no, no. I, just curious. Was, like, if, if I was if I was working at the label, um, yeah. I had more insight. Like to me, when I read something articles, is uh-huh. I, I always I always want to be uh, in, in the real know and understand what was the thinking behind it. I always think, look at Universal is incredible. What they've done, sure. all oh, absolutely. Went, it, no, and I'm not just saying what they, but there is like, hey, wait a second, why can't we? In everything they do. Let's create that internally. Because they have the biggest artists in the world. They can create their own version one day of TikTok. They can create their own version. They have the resources. They have everything. Right. They (laughs) have. So if they decide to pull something, they're doing it for what's going to be for the ultimate right reason. People might not understand it it on the front end, but they're geniuses. And look, again, when you have what, what Republic does... And what Very smart answer, my friend. Does. Very smart answer. I, I would bet against anything they do. <laughs> yes, yes. You heard it first, the song breaker. Be on the lookout. <laughs> yes. So, Absolutely. A new platform, something to do with Universal. Being a they, partner, I don't a know what it's going to be, but, but they are always going to create something. Uh, yes. They are the ultimate innovators. Yes, yes, yes. Well said. Uh, speaking of AI, in your current role, how do you envision the integration of artificial intelligence shaping the future of the music marketing and promotion. And are you currently working 
on any projects related to AI. I'm just what what I'm trying to figure out now is look at it's Please. I think every I think every um industry, but obviously I'll speak about yes. the one I know, is trying to now figure out how we're AI because it's gonna dominate every industry, just like it's a different type of industry, but we all knew mm -hmm. at some point Amazon was gonna take out everybody. It's just mm -hmm. this is something that's gonna take out everyone, but in um in, in, in the world they live in. So AI, first of all, it's going to determine what employees are valuable and what aren't. Because you could put together, if you go into AI, they could put together the most sophisticated marketing plan. Is that going to mm -hmm. hurt now? Is that now going to hurt a marketing executive who now you're taking out the person, the personality, that vision? So it's going to be excellence versus excellence and cost covering. So if I can now take a marketing plan, I don't have a big staff. So with me with AI, if I can go into a system and go, okay, I need a marketing plan for this artist, it's wonderful mm -hmm. for me. Because I'm, but I'm not going to take out my creativity. I'm not going to take out what I think I bring to the table. I have to figure out how to use my ability and be smart mm -hmm. enough to use everything to maximize AI. You have to maximize all your metrics. You have to maximize AI, but you also mm -hmm. have to figure out at what point do you question yourself and not let yourself be AI can't give you passion. AI can't drive passion into another human being. Correct. Can I create the emotions, the creativity? Cannot. Yes. That emotional the, bond. It, with, yes. And it, yes. And in the entertainment industry, the movie industry, the uh, yes. music industry, that value is more important to me than any other industry. But mm -hmm. that being said, AI is going to take over the world. They're going to have the answer to every test. And they're going to be so much more sophisticated than any other human being. You're basically getting 10 Harvard, MIT, Yale marketing executives through AI. Correct. Why wouldn't Correct. you use that brilliance but then you have to be able to, how do you integrate it into the entertainment world? And because Barry Gordy, Clive Davis, David Geffen, Jimmy Ivey, they never had AI. And again, no, look what no. they've done. They, yes. you know, I mean, they've created. So would you ever take them out of the mix for a complete AI generated situation? You'd be foolish well, definitely to. Definitely not. Yes. But yes. those executives, uh, if they had AI, would also know how to maximize yes. what it brings to the Me. table. Mm -hmm. But it'll probably be 75, 80% AI. But that 25, wow. that 20%, that 25%, you're going to have the top music executives in the world competing against each other with the same information from AI. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be like watching the best of the best. Interesting. Oh, very positive outlook. In your line of work, how do you stay updated uh, with the latest trends, innovations, or changes in the industry? And how important it is to continue to learn? Oh, my God. If you <laughs> look at, look at, I, if I didn't learn, I'd still be dealing with MySpace and Napster. Yes. I mean, you have to evolve. You, it, it, just, it depends what you want out of it. There are two things you have to do, or two or three. And yes. I'm thinking of this, this is probably coming out of this. You have to continue to evolve. Yes. You have to continue to understand you're, you're not as strong as you think you are. You have mm -hmm. to be able to hear what you don't want to hear. You have to let smarter people. You know, one thing about L.A. Reid that I loved, L.A. always told me because he was trying to teach me and, and, mm -hmm. and take any sailing I had on myself mm -hmm. and clear it out of the way by telling me what I didn't want to hear. You can't be sensitive. If you don't know AI, say you don't know it. If you don't understand metrics, but you know it's valuable, ask those questions and go to people that you feel that can educate you. I didn't understand what um, consumption meant, what it meant using all the metrics together, but I knew to mm -hmm. ask the right people. So you can't be pride. I'm sorry, you can't have pride. You can't have ego. You have to know there's always some, there's always numerous people smarter than you, and you know a lot less than what than a lot more, if that makes sense. 
I know what I it know, does. but there's just yeah. too much I don't know. So if like what's coming next after Kat, uh, Kedrick, I want to pronounce her last name correctly, is a president of ADA. She's this mm-hmm. brilliant technology executive. I ask her questions. I ask her, I'm sorry, I didn't say that correctly. I ask her <laughs> numerous questions. I made up a phrase yes. here. I ask yeah. her numerous questions. She's brilliant. She knows yes. more than I'm ever going to know, but I need to know as much as from her as I can. Yes, yes. She understands. She's looking for the next Spotify. She's looking to how to integrate Warner into the future. Mm-hmm. So how do I, I know to go to her. I know to ask her what's next and how would you recommend you, like how is that going to help me do what I do? Yes. So you always know something's coming. You just have to do as much reading as you can. You have to Correct. constantly educate yourself. You have Correct. to, like, whatever you, whatever's going to teach you is more valuable than going down mm-hmm. the TikTok rabbit hole for an hour. <laughs> um, aside from promotion, uh, Todd, you, uh, you've been in the industry for long, long enough that you've seen technology change everything. Mm-hmm. To the point you've developed a crystal ball, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. per se. Uh, what your vision for the future? Where do you think? We are going next. Also, what is missing in the industry? Really, these are a few important questions that I think you wanted a few people able to kind of give a glimpse or I kind of, I wish 100% answer, but at least I would say 75% you will be correct in your answers. Like envision the future. Where do you think what's next and what's missing? uh, All right, well, first of all, what I, where I think the industry is going is Mm -hmm. I think like you, when you said something earlier about asking me about wanting to have my own label, yes. one of the reasons why I think something like that would be possible one day is because mm-hmm. I think, well, well, this will lead to the question. Artists are going to have yeah. their own labels. Artists are going to yes. understand they don't need labels. First of all, artists have to give up their masters. Artists have to yes. give up their, their freedom, publishing. their creativity, yeah. their publishing and now majors are being more sensitive to that situation. Universal is wonderful with that. Again, I'm not saying others aren't, but I just mm-hmm. love how conscious they are to protect their artists. Mm-hmm. So they're, but if you're a Travis Scott or you're one mm-hmm. of these artists, you could have your own label tomorrow because frankly, Correct. you can come to my company or, or a competitor of mine for promotion and marketing. You mm-hmm. can do the same thing and, re, and, and outsource someone for international Mm-hmm. What you need from an artist is three things. You need streaming so people can ha- help you with platforms and mm-hmm. the relationships for playlisting. Mm-hmm. You need a promotion person that can help you with radio and you mm-hmm. need an international person. Those are really the mm-hmm. three highlights. And all that together with mm-hmm. an AI situation or, or a TikTok situation or me, creates marketing. Mm-hmm. So labels, so artists can invest in that without giving up overhead, without giving up any of their resources. Um, mm-hmm. As far as, like you said, they can own hundred percent of their masters. So they're going to only get more sophisticated. Uh, younger people are hundred percent already understanding that. So 10 mm-hmm. years from now, an artist is going to say, I'm keeping everything and I can compete with everybody. And they're yes. going to be so the artists in their fan base is going to be so far ahead of the labels because they can be more fluid. Yes. For example, if I see a single that's not working, I can go yes. to the next single in 10 seconds. Whereas yes. sometime after your label, you still have to go through the machine. You have to go through numerous agendas. You have to, with me, yes. I just chase the success for the artist. Uh-huh. And, 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 and people that do what I do. Yes. And, and managers and whatever. So, in today's times, if you see a different sign, we can share. Yeah. Well, in the future, yeah, everyone's going to think that way. So you're going to have artists that can create their own branding. Look at mm-hmm. Travis Scott, Little Nas X. They don't need anyone to create branding. They're their own brand. Travis Scott created the McDonald's commercial. Little Nas X is brilliant with creating marketing opportunities. Mm-hmm. They can do it on their own without, again, and they get all the money that comes in, they don't have to work out a deal with anyone else. So now picture 10, 15 years down the road, they're going to create their own labels. 
They're going to just yeah. cash money is a perfect example. I worked very closely with cash money. They mm-hmm. were the future. They developed young money. Little Wayne. Little Wayne brought uh, uh, brought Nikki over there. Brought Drake over there. Brought Tiger over there. When Correct. you have a brand, those artists will bring on new artists, and they'll do it with the same business model. That mm-hmm. would be twenty years from now, ten years from now, maybe three years from now. Sure, it's yes, all definitely. About three leverage. years, yes, yes. Everything's about leverage. If it now what happens, it goes back to the heavy lifting. If if an artist creates that, will a major then try to buy that, and then an artist will say, "Okay, do I want that fat check, <laughs> or do I want to stay on my own course?" And that's where you get into that competition. Sometimes the fat check could be it's going to be attractive. Yes, it's going to be like, attractive, but, but they're I, not going to argue. because you don't know the future. Because you don't know the future, they have a chance to have another hit or another. You know. So, but the answer to your question is, artists are going to end up controlling their own destiny. I, I think, yes. oh, and over time, I think they'll control the rest of it, and and they'll be on the forefront of maximizing the newest versions of technology. And so, do you think like music distribution can also change with the streaming and all of that? Music distribution has to change. You know, the they rep- music distrib- distribution companies represent the whole labels. So mm-hmm. not only do they have to be on the forefront of technology, which again I think Warner um, and their new chairman is their new chairman is a technology genius. I call him a beast mm-hmm. in that area. He is taking mm-hmm. the music. See what's happened is the music industry hasn't had enough leaders to take yes. us into that technology world because where they've got is from their careers. And frankly, yes, there's always state- a pushback. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. But but um, uh, labels like again John Janik yes. at Interscope, Monty and Avery at Republic, um, yes. Warner, mm-hmm. they they see the future and they're only worried about the future. They don't care about what have you done for me yesterday. So Warner though has brought over a, te- a technology savvy person who is going to always be on the forefront. And make sure their distribution company, which again is CAT, who I said earlier, ADA, they work hand in hand to figure out how to distribute their music with these new versions of technology, not just on a domestic level, but more importantly, on an international level. Mm-hmm. And there are, uh, there are numerous distribution co- uh, technology companies, I'm sorry, uh, coming overseas that mm-hmm. are just being discovered here. France has one. Italy has a, India is a streaming monster in this uh, in this world. So mm-hmm. why is it working? So, why is it working so well in India? Why are the numbers so high? The U.S. has to figure out that and bring that into our world. And the streaming platform thing, which is part of distribution, you think will stay the same? You know, back no. in the day, it used to be the record stores. Now, streaming digital platform, but and you have so many. The music is on too many platforms. There is a change that you would say. Well, the only change, and that and that kind of deter that is based to me on the actual company, like Pepsi Coke or whatever. That's marketing to me. You're gonna if we see streaming is a winning uh, business model, you're gonna have new streaming sites that are always gonna say, "But we're this, but we do this better." Well, we're this, and we do this and this better. So there are two things we need to see the metrics and the results that their consumers are really reacting to the artist mm-hmm. that we know Spotify is. There'll obviously be new, uh, uh, new, more futuristic companies as we... New technology, music. That are being developed now, but streaming, I'm sorry, distribution companies are obviously trying to pay attention and they have people specifically in their companies to read the room. And figure out what that is. So there's no mm-hmm. secret there. But on which ones are going to work? It's going to be result driven, like always. Eyeballs. You know, like we know TikTok is a eyeball. Oh yes, yes. Super Bowl. Yes. You know, yes. you you have you have influencers on TikTok that have a hundred million followers. We know celebrities. That's a Singers, famous, everybody, everybody. Yeah. We know it's a, an unbelievable marketing tool. 
So until we see those, and again, that's the consumer driving the marketplace, not the record labels. The record labels then capitalize on those companies. But we have to see results and they have to see, um, obviously, whoever markets yourself to put yourself in the room to be, you know, so they'll pay attention to you. It still comes down to, again, promotion and marketing. Yes. I mean, there's always been a, a pushback in the music business towards technology. Even I remember from the days of digi- physical to digital. But again, but think about why. You said, but it, you, well, I, technology, we all know why. Not yes. to, no, yes. no, technology, unfortunately, is replaces people's jobs. Oh, correct. Correct. So, correct, correct. of course, you'd be scared. Like, if you're AI right now and you're the head of marketing at a label, you yeah. should be concerned. If you're a promotion person and you see that streaming is changing the world, you should be concerned. You, you, you should being comfortable is what got, is what stops us. You know, and yes. that's our, the, the music industry's biggest enemy is being comfortable. It's the executives <laughs> that are unco- that get uncomfortable mm-hmm. that continue well, to have places. Uh, this this interview and this conversation, I would love to continue it for more. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, I, I definitely. That's what I said I could talk to you for days. I, listen, you're an encyclopedia, my friend. You really definitely are. Um, well, we firstly thank you for joining us today. I mean, obviously, good things pleasure. sometimes have to con- to come to an end. But this yeah. has been an honor and a pleasure. This concludes today's episode of Soundbreaker. Please make sure to follow us on socials and to stay tuned for next for new episode see you and thank you very much this podcast is presented by music dash world's first ai powered independent distribution cms if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to share the soundbreaker podcast and if you are joining us on youtube please like this video and subscribe to the channel until next time